982, if you're using one of those black Bibles. If you brought your own, I have no idea what page number it is. Like you can find it. Acts 15, I'm going to start at verse 36. Wave at me if you're there. Wave at me if you're still looking. <laughs> yes, I see that hand. <clears throat> All right. Um, so today we're covering, uh, we're continuing in our series through the book of Acts called Vintage Church, where we are trying to go retro. We are trying intentionally to be old school, to recover our ancient roots as the people of God. Um, sometimes uh, we can get caught up in trying to be trendy and trying to be relevant. I'm convinced that we are most relevant when we are the most old school, when we are the most uh, vintage. Uh, and, uh, and then other times we can try to be retro, and when people say they want to be retro, they're trying to recover some like 1950s version of Christianity, and that's not what we're after either. We're after a 2,000-year-old uh, version of Christianity as it's expressed right here in the book of Acts. That's what we're trying to do. Um, and so we're continuing our series called Vintage Church. I'm going to cover... Chapter 15, beginning at verse 36, and we're going to go to chapter 16, verse 5. Okay, so we've got about 10 verses or so uh, that we will talk about today. You ready? Chapter 15, verse 36. I'll read and you can follow along. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul went on to Derbe and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. The brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him, so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at, Jer at Jerusalem for the people to observe. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So this story follows right on the heels of what we covered last week. And if you weren't here last week, we talked about this first ever grand meeting of the church to convene and debate and discuss a controversial topic. The Jerusalem Council, as it's been called, met in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and there were representatives from the church of Jerusalem, and there were representatives from the church at Syrian Antioch, the church that Paul and Barnabas were a part of, the church that had launched Paul out on his missionary journeys. And the conflict was over the Gentiles. Is it okay for Gentiles to be a part of our church? Is it okay for people who are not like us to come in and be part of this church, or should we require all of these adult men to be circumcised in order to be part of our family of faith. The Jerusalem Council settles the debate. They say, no, 
these Gentile men do not need to become Jews in order to become Christians. They can keep their own culture intact. They can keep their own customs intact. We're just going to ask that they follow a few simple rules, mainly so that we can hang out together in fellowship with one another. And most of the rules involve um, following a little bit of the Jewish diet, which in modern day terms we, we call it a kosher diet. And so after some time has passed, that's the way verse 36 begins. After some time has passed from that event, now we have the events that we read about here today. So it probably doesn't happen right away. This is not like the next day. This could have been a year later or two years later. There's a considerable amount of time that has gone on. But Luke, who's writing this story, wants us to connect the two together and understand, especially as we read further about circumcision in this text, that there is a connection and that these ideas are continuing to develop. And we're going to see some friction here, which could make us uncomfortable. I know when I was growing up, I used to have the, um, uh, the really naive view that uh, everything that happens in the Bible uh, is good. Uh, everything that people in the Bible do is good. Well, uh, sooner or later, you, you run into some stuff where people are doing some really bad stuff, and then you're like, oh, well, hold on. The Bible is a good record. It is a truthful record. It is written by God, but it has a lot of stuff in there where people act up and do sinful things. But then it got even more complicated for me because I was like, well, sure, people, you know, like the bad people in the Bible do bad things. But the good people in the Bible, they do good things. And so then we lift up people like Paul. And we lift up people like Barnabas. And then we read a passage like this where they're like duking it out. And we're confused. And we're like, wait, hold up. I thought these two dudes were both filled with the Spirit. They were both godly leaders in the church. They're both used of God in Acts chapter 15, in the previous chapter, they were the heroes. And now, now they're fighting. And so what, what I want us to see here um, in this chapter, we're going to see a couple of different ideas, a couple of different, uh, uh, a couple of different ideas about team ministry. Because every church is a team. You've got a pastor, some churches have deacons, some churches have ushers. Everybody usually votes at a business meeting. People serve in different ways. A church is just a team. It is a team of people who have been put together in a particular place by God to accomplish his mission in that place, to bear witness to his lordship in that place. And we all pull together as members of the team to accomplish that goal of bearing witness to Jesus in this place. So I want us to think of ourselves as such a team. And then we're going to learn from Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Timothy and Paul and Silas. We're going to learn some things about team ministry that hopefully will help us. First off, team ministry involves navigating conflict. Team ministry involves navigating conflict. Now, I wish that was, this weren't true because I don't enjoy conflict. Um, probably most of you here don't enjoy conflict. I have met a few people who enjoy conflict and they scare me. Um, I'm like, we should, we should not enjoy fighting so much. Um, but most of us, 
we have we have this uh, you know fight or flight syndrome, and most of us would rather we would flee, right? We would we would be like, I, I don't want this. Let me stick my head in the sand. Let me sweep this under the rug. Let me step into the next room because I don't want the conflict, right? That's like probably ninety-five percent of us are that way. Um, and uh, but unfortunately, when you have a group of people together, there will be conflict. Two of the most godliest missionaries in the history of the church, Paul and Barnabas, have a serious conflict. It says in verse. Um, uh, verse 39, they had a sharp disagreement. Sharp disagreement. This is not a polite gentleman's discussion. This is a sharp disagreement. And I think Luke writes it that way intentionally because he's trying to connect it with the sharp and serious pointed debate that they had in Acts chapter 15. Because similar language was used of a vigorous debate of a of a sharp disagreement that happens in Acts chapter 15. But in Acts chapter 15, they're fighting about something that is a whole lot more important. At least on the surface, that's the way it seems. In Acts chapter 15, they're fighting about do the Gentiles get saved by grace or by works? Namely, the work of circumcision. Is that how they get into heaven? Or is it by grace through faith? Like that is really important and that's worth fighting over. But then as we keep on reading, we see that Luke says, yeah, then they had another sharp disagreement. And this one was about personnel. They're putting together a team. Paul's trying to hire his team. And he's like, I want this guy and this guy, but not that guy. And Barnabas is like, well, hold on. I want this guy and this guy, but not that guy. And they're having a disagreement. Now, to us, that seems a whole lot less important than what they argued over in chapter 15. On chapter 15, we would be with him. We'd be like, yeah, yeah, fight over that. Like the gospel itself is at stake in chapter 15. We want to be a church that reaches all people, and we are not going to require people to have surgery in order to become Christians. That's not what we do. That's not the gospel. That's a fight worth having in Acts chapter 15. But in Acts chapter 16, this team ministry all of a sudden involves navigating conflict. Now, there's some, some background information here that, that might be relevant from another part of Scripture. Galatians chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about um, uh, a, an incident. It's called the uh, Antioch Incident. Paul and Barnabas, you'll recall, are a part of the church in Antioch. And uh, there's a debate among Bible scholars about when the events in Galatians chapter 2 uh, take place. Some Bible scholars think that the events in Galatians 2, the beginning of Galatians 2, is before the Jerusalem Council of Acts 15. And then some uh, part of it is after the events of the Jerusalem Council. So here's, here's a, a possible way to, uh, to reconstruct it. Paul is upset because he's, he's heard this message that people are forcing Gentile Christians to be circumcised. So he writes the book of Galatians. He, he starts penning this letter and he starts putting out these ideas about justification by grace through faith alone. And he talks about how if anybody preaches another gospel, let them be accursed. And then they go down and they have the Jerusalem council and everybody agrees 
The gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We are not going to require circumcision, and we are going to be a church for all people. And they're all happy. Where I'm from, they would say, we were all hunky-dory. It's all going to work out. It's cool. And then they go back to their places. And then the second half of Galatians chapter 2 says that a while later. Peter and Barnabas and Paul are following the instructions of the Jerusalem council and they're sitting down and they're sharing a meal with their brothers and sisters in Antioch. But then some really strict, really traditional Jews come, probably of the party of the Pharisees, and they, they start looking down on Peter because Peter is not eating kosher as he's eating with the Gentiles. And so Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 that Peter decides to separate from the Gentiles and say, sorry, I can't be with you anymore. And he goes over with his people. Basically, they put up a, a fountain, a water fountain in their church with a sign on it that said, this is for this and this is for this kind of people. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, even Barnabas gets carried away because of the peer pressure of the moment. And so Paul, who was not carried away by the peer pressure, Paul looks at Peter and he rebukes him to his face. He says, you are living out of step with the gospel. Didn't we agree back in Jerusalem that this is how we would live? So apparently all of this has shaken out in between Acts chapter 15 verse 35, and what's happening here in verse 36. So I think that what has happened is along the way, Paul and Barnabas's relationship has become a little bit strained because they had this incident in Antioch where Barnabas gave in and he did something he shouldn't have, like us. Because Barnabas, even though he's this great hero in the Bible, he's this great hero in the book of Acts, he has feet of clay. He's a sinner just like you and I are. You know from your own personal experience that we can be seemingly saints one day and the worst of sinners the next. Right? Don't we know that? So that's Barnabas. That's Paul. But Paul has to call Barnabas out on something specific and apparently it strains their relationship. And then they get ready to go back out on a missionary journey together. And this is described right here. Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. And so they're like, cool, let's do it. But keeping in mind that Paul and Barnabas's relationship maybe is not quite as tight as it used to be, they kind of all of a sudden, all their communication breaks down as they try to pick a team. Because Barnabas wants to take along this guy named John Mark. John Mark was his cousin. Paul says, I don't want to take along John Mark. We took him on the first trip. In fact, I don't know if you remember, but when we were preaching, um, I pointed it out. I was like, hey, note that John Mark is with them. This is important because we're going to get to it later. This is the later. Okay? Paul's like, hey, we took John Mark with us on our first trip. We took him to Cyprus and he abandoned us. John Mark left us high and dry. We were out there. We were trying to reach people. We were trying to save souls on Cyprus. We were trying to do God's work. And John Mark just kind of, he was flaky, man. He 
abandoned us. I can imagine Paul quoting that verse in the book of Proverbs. Confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Anybody ever had a broken tooth before? Okay. Anybody ever had a, a body part out of joint before? I've not had a foot out of joint, but my right shoulder has dislocated four or five times. Ended up in the hospital multiple times for that. It hurts like crazy when my shoulder is out of joint. And that proverb from the book of Proverbs is saying like, look, when, you're, when your body part is out of joint, when my shoulder is out of joint, I can't depend on my arm to do anything. Confidence in an unfaithful person is like a, a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. Paul's like, hey, he failed us once. We put our trust in him. He wasn't there for us when we needed him. We're going to move on from him. We can do better. The mission of God requires us to have a higher bar. John Mark's like, no, no, no. You've got to give him one more chance. Come on. He's my family. He's my cousin. Don't we believe in grace? And so they're having this argument. They're having this debate. And I can see it from both sides. And, uh, and we'll talk about that more later. But, but they're, they're arguing about this. Now, it's interesting. They're not arguing about theology. They're not arguing about the great doctrines of the Bible. They hashed that out in the previous chapter, and they all agreed. They were all on the same page. This is an argument over who is going to be on the team. You know, most modern-day uh, squabbles in churches pan out kind of like this, where we have disagreements over things that are not the most crucial things to disagree on. Sometimes our differences are theological. Um, sometimes we argue about things that are important, but not the most important. Like, uh, I'm a Baptist, right? But um, my views about being a Baptist are a lot less important than my views about whether or not Jesus rose from the dead. Now, we, we practice Baptist beliefs here. We don't baptize babies. Um, uh, because of our conviction about what the Word of God says. But my Presbyterian brothers and sisters are not followers of the devil just because they are Presbyterian and I am Baptist. And sometimes in Christian circles, we get so worked up over our own particular set of beliefs that we think anybody who disagrees with us, they are the enemy. It's like, uh, it's like how life plays out on social media where we shame and vilify uh, and we're ready to terrorize everybody else who doesn't see things our way. We have theological differences between charismatics and non-charismatics, between Calvinists and Arminians, between people who, who have different views. And all of these issues that I just mentioned, Baptists versus Presbyterians, charismatics versus non-charismatics, Calvinists versus Arminians, all three of those are all important issues. But they are none of them the most important issues. Sometimes people divide over issues that ought to be second level or third level issues. Somebody points out that um, when, you, when you run into a, a hospital room, you run into the ER, you get triage care. They treat what's most urgent first. 
and they don't work on something else. They're not like, okay, your arm is falling off, but you also have uh, a broken toenail. We're going to fix the broken toenail. Nobody does that, uh, except sometimes we do that in the church. And we fight over things and we divide over things that maybe are important, but they are not the most important thing that we ought to be fighting over. Sometimes conflict in church comes from personality differences. Um, this is you, feel free to say amen. We have introverts and we have extroverts. We have people with different uh, Enneagram types. How many of you know your Enneagram type? Uh, I have not uh, done my uh, test. A lot of people keep telling me I ought to. Maybe some of you already think you have me pegged. You know what I am. Uh, I have no idea. Um, we have task-oriented people, and we have people-oriented people. We have people that are all about the relationship, and then people that think in terms of checklists. I'm going to get this done, and this done, and this done. Just different kinds of people with different personalities. Some people are doers. Some people are thinkers. Some people, they, they see a problem and they roll up their sleeves and they like jump in. And they don't really think about it a whole lot. And sometimes they might not be the most efficient, but they jump in and they end up getting stuff done. Other people see a problem and, and they're like, I need, to, I need to pray about this for like 48 hours. Let me sit here and think about it. And that's how they are. We have doers and thinkers. And the thinkers can aggravate the doers because the doers are just like... Man, all they do is they just sit over there and they think and they say they want to pray and like I'm out here doing the Lord's work, getting it done. And the, and the thinkers are aggravated by the doers because they're like, man, they're so unspiritual. They're just doing stuff and they don't, won't take time to like pray and seek God's face. And they're like going at each other, right? Doers and thinkers. Some people speak bluntly. See everything in black and white. Others are far more nuanced. And all they see are shades of gray. These kind of people, these are personality differences, mind you. This is not right and wrong stuff. They tend to grate on each other and aggravate one another. Now, none of these things here that I've mentioned are bad. Introverts and extroverts, different Enneagram types, task-oriented people, we need those people. We also need the people-oriented people. We need the doers. We need the thinkers. <laughs> We need people who will speak with a prophetic voice because they see things in black and white. And we need people who can see nuance and can see the shades of gray. But what happens is sometimes churches, and I've been a part of some like this, have divided over personality differences. Maybe that's some of what's going on here between Paul and Barnabas. I think, as I read this, that Paul and Barnabas have two very different personality types. I don't know how they would have been rated on like the Enneagram scale or anything like that, but, but Paul is a, is a um, blunt-talking, task-oriented preacher. He's a missionary who is obsessed with getting the job done. God has called him to reach the Gentiles, and bless God, he is going to reach the Gentiles. And if anybody stands in his way, he's going to run them over. Because his mission of bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth is a good one. Barnabas is described as the son of encouragement. He's the relational guy. He's the friendly guy. Paul might be the guy that you want to you send your money to if you're trying to support a missionary because he's the one that's going to reach more lost people. Barnabas is the guy you want to be friends with. If you're hanging out to watch the Super Bowl, you probably want to watch it with Barnabas and not with Paul. 
That's my, that's my sense reading the book of Acts. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they can shoot me out in heaven when I, when I meet them. But we have these different personality differences. And then sometimes we have philosophical differences in churches because we do ministry differently. Even though we have the exact same theology, sometimes conflicts in churches emerge over differences in philosophy of ministry. So, uh, for example, when it comes to worship, some churches are, are contemporary and they, they do bands and light shows and clapping and those sorts of things. And then some churches are more traditional and they sing hymns written 150 years ago or, or even older back than that. Some churches, when it comes to worship, they're what you might call uh, liturgical. Uh, and so they're, they're burning incense and they're reading from a, a common book of prayer and, and they, uh, they have different practices when it comes to communion. And there are these different styles, different philosophies of ministry. Some churches can have a philosophy of ministry that's outward focused and others can have a philosophy of ministry that's inward focused. I talked about this last week. Outward focused churches are focused on expanding the reach of the gospel outside the four walls of the church and and inward focused churches are trying to build up and disciple what we have. Question, do we need both? Yes, we need both. Most of you didn't answer because you were afraid it was a trick question, but we do need both, right? Um, when it comes to relating to those around us, when it comes to relating to our community, to our city, to our country, one philosophy of ministry is, is to have a combative approach of, say, more like a culture warrior. Like, we're at war with the world. We're at war with those who are outside the faith. And then others are more trying to have a, strike a different tone to engage our neighbors. Both groups have the exact same beliefs. I'm talking about Christians, that is. Both groups of Christians have the exact same theology, exact same convictions, but they strike a different posture in how they relate to the world. These are the sorts of differences in philosophy of ministry that sometimes trip up churches. It's all people who have exactly the same theology. Paul and Barnabas get tripped up over something that doesn't seem like it should divide them. Now, why does Luke include this? Like, um, you'd think he would just, you know, write about the good stuff, but I think he, he wants us to see that there is a serious disagreement in the church between two godly men who split apart because of this disagreement. Paul is relentlessly focused on the mission and the vision. He's like, we're going to go back. We're going to go to Cyprus. We're going to go to Pamphylia. We're going to follow up with all the churches that we've planted. And I don't want to take John Mark because he failed us. Paul's attitude is, you know, I can't trust someone who has let me down. Barnabas, he seems to be a little bit more grace-based. He sees potential in his relative. He doesn't see John Mark where he is right now. He sees where John Mark could be 10 years from now. And he wants to invest in him now so that he'll get there one day. Paul's like, no, he's just a distraction. I got a job to accomplish. And so they're having this debate. And they end up splitting up. Now, if I were to poll you and say, uh, actually, I'm going to do this right now. How many of you uh, 
think that Paul was right? Raise your hand. Uh, higher. I'm going to count. Got to be, be bold. Take a, take a position. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. How many of you think Barnabas was right? One. Put them up. One, two, three, four. Okay, and then a bunch of you didn't raise your hands. Is that because... I wonder, why is it? You don't know? Both can be right on different parts. Okay. Anybody else have a different take? Wait, you can't take your vote back now. Paul said he should come along, right? Paul said he shouldn't. Barnabas said he should. Did you vote with the wrong group? No. Okay. Um, You think neither of them are wrong. Okay. It could be. Uh, we, we, we wish we had more information, right? We wish that we knew more. But the reality is that the Holy Spirit told us exactly what we need to know. He gave us the information that we need in this text. And so um, here's, here's what I want us to observe about this. I think it's really important to observe God's sovereignty in this. God's goal was to spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. A missionary team had formed with Paul and Barnabas to accomplish that goal. Now, because of maybe their own sinfulness or or inability to compromise or whatever, for whatever reason, all of a sudden you get two teams where before there was only one. Paul takes a guy named Silas. Barnabas takes his cousin, John Mark. And both of these teams go out to accomplish God's missionary goal. I don't know who was right, and I don't know who was wrong. I know that they have a sharp disagreement, and a sovereign God still somehow, in the midst of their messiness, in the midst of their sin, a sovereign God gets the glory because suddenly... There are two teams doing the work when before there was only one. I don't know if God is glad about how they got there, but I think God is glad about where they ended up. That now there are two teams doing the mission. Now that may not satisfy any of you. I know we like resolution. We like to pick sides and and, um, maybe we can sort it out when we get to heaven. But team ministry inevitably involves navigating conflict. And I've described some of the conflicts that that modern-day churches can have and squabbles that they can have and arguments that they can have, stuff that has nothing to do with the most basic theology that unites us. Because Paul and Barnabas and Silas and John Mark, they all have the same theology. And yet, they divide. Team ministry, church ministry, involves navigating conflict. We will, we have, we will have conflict. And we have to be committed to working through it. I don't know if Paul and Barnabas did a good job of that. I don't know, I don't know how long this took. I don't know if they sat down over a cup of coffee and tried to hash things out or they were just like, I'm done with you. I don't know. I don't know how it played out, but like, When there is conflict, we have to come to the table and work through it with our brothers and sisters rather than divide. Second, team ministry involves dying to our preferences. 
So if you look at chapter 16, verse 1, it says that Paul, with his new team, he and Silas, he goes on to Derby and Lystra. This is where originally he and Barnabas had gone before. In chapter 14, I believe it was. And uh, there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman whose father is a Greek. So Timothy uh, has a father who's a Gentile and a mother who is a Jew who has become a Christian. It says a believing Jewish woman. That's a way of saying a, a Christian Jew. So ethnically, culturally, what is Timothy? He's not a Samaritan. But I see where you're going with that. What is he? I'm not talking about religiously. Culturally, who is he? Is he Gentile or is he Jewish? But his father was a Greek. So he's he's 50-50, right? He's Gentile. He's Jewish. And the problem is that this throws him into limbo, as it were. And everyone is looking at him and they're like, we're not quite sure how to label you. We're not quite sure how to identify you. Are you one of us? Or are you one of them? And so the Jews and the Gentiles would have divided along these lines. Now, uh, in modern day times, there's a, um, uh, a Jewish tradition that uh, I think it's if... Um, uh, if, if it's, if you're, um, Jewish, if your mom was Jewish and your grandma was Jewish, if it goes back two or three generations on your mom's side, then you are considered Jewish. Uh, that idea though, wasn't invented, um, until the second century, about a hundred years after this took place. So we don't have any reason to be sure that the Jews would have viewed this person as Jewish. In fact, they all know that his father is a Greek. And so they're worried about, this is this guy Gentile. The Gentiles are worried about this guy being Jewish. Nobody's really sure. Uh, but the writer Kathy Ehrensberger, she talks about how Paul was a go-between. And I think when you read the second half of the book of Acts, that's what you always see. Paul is jumping into the messy situations. Paul is jumping into the mixed-up situations, and he functions as the bridge. He functions as the go-between. He's like... Hey, you're over here, you're over here, I'm going to step into the void, and I'm going I'm to bring you guys together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul does, and that's what he does in this moment. Now, it's interesting because the way that he bridges people together is he has this man of unknown cultural identity. He has him circumcised. Timothy. Paul wants Timothy to go with him. He wants to add him to his team. He used to have Barnabas. He used to have John Mark. Now he's got Silas, and he wants to add Timothy. But there's a problem. It says because of the Jews who were in that place, they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul wants Timothy to go with him and circumcises him. Now we just had this whole debate over circumcision in chapter 15. And uh, if you compare Acts chapter 15 with Galatians chapter 2, you'll know that Paul drew a big red line in the sand when it came to the circumcision of a guy named Titus. The Jews wanted to circumcise Titus. And Paul's like, according to Galatians 2, not 
you know, not over my dead body. You're, you have to come through me if you want to circumcise Titus. But he has a totally different approach with Timothy. He has a totally different approach in Acts chapter 16. With Timothy, he's like, all right, look, there are these people out there that think you want to be circumcised because nobody really knows if you're Jewish or Gentile. Maybe you're both, and we don't really know. And so people think that maybe it would be a good idea for you to be circumcised so that you can relate better as we go out on this missionary venture. Now, in the previous chapter, Paul had been willing to fight to the death, pretty much, to keep these adult men from being circumcised. Here, he encourages it as a good option. What in the world is going on? I think Paul is the, the classic go-between. Paul is the classic bridge builder. He understands when it is okay to lay down your rights for the sake of others, for the sake of accomplishing the mission. Remember, he, he didn't want Barnabas along because, I'm sorry, he didn't want John Mark along because Paul is just obsessed with accomplishing the mission. I think Paul, he's doing the same thing right here. He wants Timothy along because he thinks it will help him to accomplish the mission. And he wants Timothy to be circumcised because he thinks it will help him to accomplish his mission. Because Paul is going to be spending all of his time in between. In between Jews and in between Gentiles. In synagogues, then kicked out of synagogues. With the God-fearers, those were a group of Gentiles who were trying to be Jewish. Um, we're gonna, the next passage talks about them. Paul is always, for, almost always, for the second half of the book of Acts, he's spending his time in between. In this weird in-between space. And so he sees a guy who is in between, culturally, and he's like, that's the kind of guy that I want on my team. Somebody who gets this whole in-between existence because that's where we're going to live on our missionary journey. But because there's this debate, because there's this squabble, I think we can reach more people if Timothy is circumcised. Now, does Timothy have to be circumcised? No. The whole church settled that issue in the previous chapter. But here's the deal. Timothy could say, I have a right not to be circumcised. In America, we love talking about our rights, right? Declaration of Independence says we have certain rights. What are they? Somebody tell me. Some of you who are civic-minded, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And then in America, we've added a whole lot of other rights about a whole lot of other things. And in America, bless God, we fight for our rights. But in the church, we lay down our rights. Because that's what Jesus did. And Paul says, Timothy, I know. I know that you have a right not to be circumcised, but freedom is not simply the right to do whatever I want. Freedom is a responsibility to do what I ought. And he's calling Timothy to do something so sacrificial, so life-giving to other people, but it is something that is literally going to hurt. Timothy, would you be circumcised for the sake of this mission? Because that's what, there was this other guy did, this other guy that you might have heard of who refused to cling to his rights. Philippians chapter two says that 
He was in the very form of God, but he didn't consider his equality with God something to be grasped, something to be clung to, that his royal position in heaven was not something that he had to hold on to. I'm pretty sure you've heard of this guy. And it says in Philippians 2 that he took on the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and was obedient to the death of the cross. You've heard of it, right? This guy who had every right to royalty, every right to power and to authority and to to kingly status in heaven. This guy named Jesus who says, I will lay down my rights. And Paul doesn't just tell us that in Philippians 2 so that we can worship Jesus. That's part of it. But he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And consider others as more important than yourselves. Our rights are not something to be fought for. Our rights are something to be laid on the altar. For the sake of our brothers and sisters within the church. Team ministry, church ministry involves laying down our preferences, laying down our rights for one another. I have three simple applications today. First, I think we need to work through conflict in a spirit of love. Fighting for our unity in Christ. Paul and Barnabas were on the same team. Something went wrong. Maybe there's a whole lot more to the story that we don't know. But in general, God calls us to work through conflict in a spirit of love. Because we're family. Now, if your family is anything like mine, your extended family probably has some weird cousins and crazy uncles and people that it gets awkward when you see them at Thanksgiving or at Christmas or whenever it is. But you know, I don't get to fire my uncles or my cousins. Be like, I'm done with you. No, because we share the same blood. We are family. And so I am going to be family with them forever. But the Bible speaks of a new kinship a new family that is not shaped by our blood, but shaped by the blood of Jesus. Because of his spilt blood, we are all decreed to be the same family. We don't get to fire one another. We may push away from the dinner table in anger and be like, I don't like what you did. But we have to come back. Because that's what family does. We work through conflict the spirit of love fighting for our unity in Christ. And we lay down our preferences for others as Jesus is described as doing in Philippians chapter two. It's not about what do I prefer? What do I want? What do I like? It's about how can I lay that down on the altar because I love you and you love me. And then third, I think we ought to be willing to join the team. We are a team, as a church, pulling together, trying to accomplish the same mission. The mission is to bear witness to Christ's lordship in this place. How can we work together to do that? Church is is a, a team sport. We pull together to accomplish this goal. And if you're sitting on the sidelines, I'd say grab a jersey and get in the game. Now I want to end with a little bit of hope because I realize this 
this story can seem like a downer. Paul fights with Barnabas. They go their separate ways. Barnabas sees John Mark, and he sees potential. He sees someone who could be something in the kingdom of God. And he decides to patiently, over time, to disciple him and to mentor him. And near the end of Paul's life, we read in other letters that Paul wrote that are part of the Bible. We read that near the end of his life, Paul says, send John Mark to me. Because he's useful to me. I don't know how much time elapsed between this story and the end of Paul's life. Maybe about 10, 15 years. But in that time span, John Mark grew up in the faith. He became reliable. He became dependable. Probably because his uncle Barnabas invested in him. And didn't give up on him. And so, at the end of Paul's life, John Mark is someone that Paul wants on his team. Because John Mark has been changed by grace. And then Paul dies. He's executed by Caesar. And John Mark goes on to go back to his native homeland. He was from North Africa. And he goes back to Africa, helps start the Coptic church that is still in existence today in North Africa. Because Barnabas refused to give up on John Mark. There are Egyptian Christians worshiping God this morning. Because Barnabas said, I'm not going to give up on my cousin. Maybe that means Barnabas was right, or maybe not. The text doesn't really work through all of that for us. But I want to leave us with some hope because you and I have often been John Mark. We're the ones who weren't faithful. We're the ones who let God down. We're the ones who let our spouses down. We're the ones who let our friends down, our fellow members of the church down, our neighbors down, our coworkers down. We have been the John Marks more times than we'd like to admit. But God is a God of grace. God is a gracious God who in the gospel gives us another chance. And Barnabas, I think, is so so thoroughly drenched in this gospel story that he sees the potential and he mentors his cousin along. And he's changed by grace. You and I are on that same journey. We have failed, and we probably will fail again. But God is at work, and he's put people in our lives to to rub up against us, maybe even to bother us and and hurt us, but because what God is doing through them is being the Barnabases. He is encouraging us, and he is graciously, over time, changing us so that once we were John Mark, who couldn't be trusted, and one day we'll be John Mark, who is so essential that Paul wants him in his final days, So that one day we can be John Mark who is starting the churches in Egypt that are still around 2,000 years later. That's the story that God can do in you. That's the story that God can do in me. That's the story that God can do in this church. Let's pray.